The Swiss Family Robinson Chapter 4 Return from the Voyage of Discovery A Nocturnal Alarm My poor boy now began to complain of fatigue. The sugar canes galled his shoulders, and he was obliged to shift them often. At last he stopped to take breath. No, he cried he, I never could have thought that a few sugar canes could be so heavy. How sincerely I pity the poor people who carry heavy loads of them. Yet how glad I shall be when my mother in earnest are tasting them. While we were conversing and proceeding onward, Fritz perceived that from time to time I sucked the end of a sugar cane and he would needs do the same. It was in vain, however, that he tried. Scarcely a drop of the sap reached his eager lips. What can be the reason, said he, that though his cane is full of juice, I cannot get out a drop? The reason is, answered I, that you make use neither of reflection nor of in your imagination. Ah, I recollect now, is it not a question about air? Unless there were a particular opening in the cane, I may suck in vain. No juice will come. You have explained the nature of the difficulty, but how will you manage to set it right? Father, lend me your cane an instant. No, no, that will not do. What I wish is that you should yourself invent the remedy. Let me see. I imagine that I have only to make a little opening just above the first knot, and then the air can enter. Exactly right. But tell me what you think would be the operation of this opening near the first knot. And in what manner can it make the juice get into your mouth? The pith of the cane being completely interrupted in its growth by each knot, the opening made below could have no effect upon the part above. In sucking the juice, I draw in my breath and thus exhaust the air in my mouth. The external air presses at the same time through the hole I have made and fills this void. The juice of the cane forms an obstacle to this effort and is accordingly driven into my mouth. But how shall I manage when I have sucked this part dry to get at the part above? Oh, oh, Mr. Philosopher, what should prevent you, who have been reasoning so well about the force and fluidity of the air, from immediately conceiving so simple a process as that of cutting away the part of the cane you have already sucked dry, and making a second perforation in the part above, so that... Oh, I have it, I have it, I understand. But if we should become too expert in the art of drawing out the juice, I fear but few of the canes will reach our friends in the tent. I also am not without my apprehensions that of our acquisition. We shall carry them only a few sticks for fairwood, for I must bring another circumstance to your recollection. The juice of the sugar cane is apt to turn sour soon after cutting, and the more certainly in such heat as we now experience. We may suck them, therefore, without compunction at the diminution of their numbers. Well then, if we can do no better with the sugar canes, at least I will take uh, them a good provision of the milk of coconuts, which I have here in a tin bottle. We shall sit round on the grass and drink it so deliciously. And this too, my generous boy, I fear you will be disappointed. You talk of milk, but the milk of the coconut, no less than the juice of the sugar cane, when exposed to the air and heat, turns soon to vinegar. I would almost swagger that it is already sour, for the tin bottle which contains it is particularly liable to become hot in the sun. 
Oh, how provoking! I must taste it this very minute. The tin bottle was lowered from his shoulder in the twinkling of an eye, and he began to pull the cork. As soon as it was loose, the liquid flew upwards, hissing and frothing like champagne. Bravo, Mr. Fritz! You have manufactured there a wine of some metal. I must now caution you not to let it make you tipsy. Oh, taste it, father. Pray taste it. It is quite delicious. Not the least like vinegar. It is rather like excellent new wine. Its taste is sweet, and it is so sparkling. Do take a little, father. It is, is it not good? If all the milk remains in this state, the treat will be better even than I thought. I wish it may prove so, but I have my fears. Its present state is what is called the first degree of fermentation. The same thing happens to honey, dissolved in water, of which hydromel is made. When this first fermentation is passed and the liquid is clear, it has become a sort of wine or other fermented liquor, the quality of which depends on the materials used. By the application of heat, there next results a second and more gradual fermentation, which turns the fluid into vinegar. But this may be prevented by extraordinary care and by keeping the vessel which contains it in a cool place. Lastly, a third fermentation takes place in the vinegar itself, which entirely changes its character and deprives it of its taste, its strength, and its transparency. In the intense temperature of this climate, this triple fermentation comes on very rapidly, so that it is not improbable that on entering our tent you might find your liquid turned to vinegar, or even to a thick liquid of ill odor. We may therefore venture to refresh ourselves with a portion of our booty, that it may not all be spoiled. Come then, I drink your health and that of our dear family. I find the liquor at present both refreshing and agreeable, but I am pretty sure that if we would arrive sober, we must not venture on frequent libations. Our regale imparted to our exhausted frames an increase of strength and cheerfulness. We reached the place where we had left our gourd utensils upon the sands. We found them perfectly dry, as hard as bones, and not the least misshapen. We now, therefore, could put them into our gang-bags, conveniently enough, and this done, we continued our way. Scarcely had we passed through the little wood in which we breakfasted, when Turk sprang away to seize upon a troop of monkeys, who were skipping about and amusing themselves without observing our approach. They were thus taken by surprise, and before we could get to the spot, our ferocious Turk had already seized one of them. It was a female who held a young one in her arms which she was caressing almost to suffocation, and was encumbrance deprived her of and which encumbrance deprived her of the power of escaping. The poor creature was killed and afterwards devoured. The young one hid himself in the grass and looked on grinding his teeth all the time that this horrid feat was performing. Fritz flew like lightning to make Turk let go his hold. He lost his hat, threw down his tin bottle, canes, etc., but all in vain. He was too late to prevent the murder of the interesting mother. The next scene that presented itself was of a different nature and comical enough. The young monkey sprang nimbly on Fritz's shoulders and fastened his feet in the stiff curls of his hair. Nor could the squalls of Fritz, nor all the shaking he gave him, make him let go his hold. I ran to them, laughing heartily, for I saw that the animal was too young to do him any injury, while the panic visible to the features of the boy made a ludicrous contrast with the grimaces of the monkey, whom I in vain endeavored to disengage. 
There is no remedy, Fritz, said I, but to submit quietly and carry him. He will furnish an addition to our stock of provisions, though less alluring. I must needs confess that for your mother's sake we could wish. The conduct of the little creature displays a surprising intelligence. He has lost his mother, and he adopts you for his father. Perhaps he discovered in you something of the air of a father or of a family. Or rather, the little rogue found out that he had to do with a chicken heart who shrinks from the idea of ill-treating an animal which has thrown itself on his protection. But I assure you, father, he is giving me some terrible twitches, and I shall be obliged to you to try once more to get him off. Well, with a little gentleness and management, I succeeded. I took the creature in my arms as one would an infant, nor could I help pitying and caressing him. He was no longer than a kitten, and quite unable to help himself. Its mother was at least as tall as Fritz. What shall I do with thee, poor orphan? I cried I, and how in our condition shall I be able to maintain thee? We have already more mouths to feel than food put into them, and our workmen are too young to afford us much hope from their exertions. Father, cried Fritz, do let me have this little animal to myself. I will take the greatest care of him. I will give him all my share of the milk of the coconuts till we get our cows and goats, and who knows? His monkey instinct may one day assist us in discovering some wholesome fruits. I have not the least objection, answered I. You have conducted yourself throughout the tragic comic adventure like a lad of courage and sensibility, and I am well satisfied with every circumstance of your behavior. It is therefore, but just that the little prodigy should be given up to your management and discretion, much will depend on your manner of educating him. By and by we shall see whether he will be fittest to aid us with his intelligence are to injure us by his malice. In this last case, we shall have nothing to do but to get rid of him. While Fritz and I were talking about the young monkey, Turk was taking his feel of the remains of its unfortunate mother. Fritz would have driven him away, but besides the difficulty of restraining him, we had to consider that we might ourselves be in danger from the pressing hunger of so powerful an animal. All the food we had before given him in the day seemed too little for the appeasing his unbounded appetite. We now thought of resuming our journey. The little orphan jumped again on the shoulder of his protector, while I, on my part, relieved my boy of the bundle of canes. Scarcely had we proceeded a quarter of a league when Turk overtook us in a gallop. Fritz and I received him without the usual marks of kindness, and reproached him with the cruel action he had committed, as if he could feel and understand us, but he showed no sign of concern about the manner, falling quietly behind Fritz with an air of cool and perfect satisfaction. The young monkey appeared uneasy from seeing him so near, and passed round and fixed himself on his protector's bosom, who did not long bear so great an inconvenience without having recourse to his invention of it for a remedy. He tied some string round Turk's body in such a way as to admit of the monkey's being fastened on his back with it. And then, in a tone of genuine pity, he said, Now, Mr. Turk, since you had the cruelty to destroy the mother, it is for you to take care of her child. First the dog was restive and resisted, but by degrees, partly by menaces and partly by caresses, we succeeded in gaining his goodwill, and quietly he consented to carry the little burden, and the young monkey, who also had made some difficulties, left found himself perfectly accommodated. Fritz put another string round Turk's neck, by which he might lead him, a precaution he used to prevent him from going out of sight. 
I must confess we had not the sin of too great haste to answer for, so that I had leisure for a suit, amusing myself with the idea that we should arrive at home with something of the appearance of keepers of rare animals for show. I enjoyed in foresight the jubilations of our young ones when they should see the figure we made. All oh, cried Fritz, I promise you Brother Jack will draw materials enough from the occasion for future malicious jokes. Do you then, my son, said I, like your admirable mother, who never fails to make allowance for the buoyant spirits of youth, and is never ready to find a charitable motive in everything? As for the question of Turk, let me observe that it would, in our situation, be dangerous to teach our dogs not to attack and kill. If they can, what unknown animals they meet with, you will see that he will soon regard your little monkey as a member of our family. Already he is content to carry him on his back. But we must not discourage him in his fancy for attacking wild beasts. Heaven bestowed the dog on man to be his safeguard and alley, and the hor horse the same. How conspicuous is the goodness of the Almighty and the natural dispositions he has bestowed on these useful creatures, who discover so much affection for man and so easily submit to the slavery of serving him. A man on horseback had accompanied by a troop and accompanied by a troop of well-conditioned dogs need not fear any species of wild beasts, not even the lion, nor the hyena. He may even baffle the ferocious rapacity of the tiger. I feel how fortunate we are in the passion of possession of two such creatures, but with the, what a pity that the horses we had on board died during our voyage, and left us with only an ass. Let us take care how we treat even our ass with disdain. I wish we had him safe on land. Fortunately, he is large and strong and not of the common, common kind. We may train him to do us the same services as are performed by the horse, and it is not improbable that he will even improve under our care, and from the excellent pasture he will find in this climate. In such conversation as this, on subjects equally interesting to both, we forgot the length of our journey and soon found ourselves on the banks of the river and near our family before we were aware. Flora, from the other side, announced our approach by a violent barking, and Turk replied so heartily that his motions unseated his little burden, who in his fright jumped the length of his string from his back to Fritz's shoulder, which he could not afterwards be prevailed upon to leave. Tur